You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Johanna from Austria. And I'm Annie from the States. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Hell, your favorite international podcast. And if you are a first-time listener or didn't listen from the very beginning, we are two online friends who met in a very competitive online solitaire group. (laughs) We've never met in real life, but we meet up virtually once a week to talk to you about murder, mystery, and all things macabre, while also getting to know more about each other, which is kind of my favorite. We actually do communicate almost every day. I talk to you more than... More than anyone. Isn't modern technology amazing? It really, yeah, it really, really is. <laughs> I, I literally talk to you more than more than anyone else, I think, now at this point. It's great. It's, I'm really lucky you're so awesome. And you know who else is awesome? You are. Our listeners, our most beloved Hellions. Yes. Without you, without you, what would have happened is what I thought what was going to happen is that we would have recorded maybe five episodes and then like forced our parents to listen to it and then <laughs> talked about forever how we had this awesome podcast it just wasn't nobody liked it but nope your support your reviews all your messages it was it was amazing and we're so grateful to all of you for sharing our content with your friends thank you so much for just being the most amazing kind people in our facebook group And as always, we want to send a special shout out to our newest Patreon member. It's either, well, his first name is Paul, same as my husband, so that's awesome. Kopak? Kopak. Kopak. Paul Kopak. Thank you so much, Paul. We really appreciate it. If you are in our murder tier and you are waiting for your pin, I just did send out the next batch to our members. Thank you for being patient. It can take a while to get to you, but they are on their way. Uh, Remember the Christmas cards? We got like three, four four weeks ago yeah it'll get there eventually it will get there also because annie mentioned messages thank you to anyone who did send us an email about your precognitive dreams i read all of them and you all have some great and super interesting stories and please keep them coming yes definitely all right so let's get into today's story i have to warn you It's very sad. I know, I know, many of our episodes are very sad and this is definitely one of them. But first, let me start a bit more lighthearted with a trivia question. Annie, you do love trivia, right? I do, yes. All right. Okay. Annie and Mm -hmm. all your listeners out there, which Japanese song placed number one in the US Billboard charts on 15th of June 1963 stayed on that position for three weeks and was a total of 14 weeks in the US charts? I'll give you five seconds to answer. (laughs) Yeah, I've got nothing. Yeah. 1963? No. Uh, Elvis? No. I don't know. Nothing. I have no idea. Okay, Annie has nothing. No. No, I don't. You out there, if you said sukiyaki, you are absolutely 100% correct. I would love to insert the song right here, right now, but we can't afford that. I would sing it badly for you a little if I knew it, but i sure I do. So if you don't know the song or you need a quick reminder, go to YouTube or Spotify or whatever super cool app your kids are using nowadays and search for Sukiyaki. This Japanese hit was sung by Kiyo Sakamoto and it was one of the very rare non-English songs that could reach the top of the US Billboard charts. Falco's Rock Me Amadeus was another one and as an Austrian, I'm obligated to mention this, right? It took me such a long time to figure out that song because I... I'm kind of known for knowing the lyrics to literally everything if I've heard it as a lyric. It's how I did well in school. Anything I had to memorize, I just put to music and I'd remember it. But I was having the hardest time with Rock Me Amadeus. And sometimes, do you remember when you'd buy like a single? Like sometimes there were lyrics and sometimes not. But Rock Me Amadeus did not have any lyrics. It took me much longer than it should have to realize it was not English. Like I'm just going to come out and (laughs) say that, yeah, it's fine. So, Sukiyaki pushed It's My Party from the number one spot and was the first Asian song to reach the top. Oh, wow. And it would stay like this 
until K-pop sensation and until PTS came around and had two number one hits in the US. They do sing in English though, so Tsukiyaki is still the only number one hit in an Asian language in the US. Uh, also, I'm aging myself now, but before researching for this episode, I never heard of BTS. I don't know any of their songs, but oh. I do now. Yes. BTS, I know a little bit. Like, I would recognize photograph of them. Well, maybe. I think if I was 13, I would really like BTS in the way yeah. that I was into New Kids on the Block. Uh, see, I'm like their mother's age, probably. So I'm like, they're just adorable. And they're so like, it's. It, I don't, I, they look like children to me, but I can see the appeal. Also, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about, was Gangnam Style was big? I only remember because my sister did it at my wedding. <laughs> She did the whole, it was hilarious. That's the only reason I'm asking, but Gangnam Style, was that not number number one? I was actually absolutely sure that Sai with Gangnam Style did reach the top spot. It was so catchy. It was number one in Austria for four weeks, but no, Gangnam Style peaked at second place in the US, never reached number one. Well, I know the feeling. All right, back to Sukiyaki. Here comes a shocker. So, Sukiyaki was not the original title of the song. For those of you who might not know this, sukiyaki is a Japanese hot pot dish, mostly with beef, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the song sukiyaki. The word is not mentioned once in the lyrics. So now, why do most of us know the song under this name, the name of a hot pot dish? Well, because the original title was considered to be too complicated for the audience in Anglophone countries. <laughs> And now I just have to imagine, I can't even say Rock Me Amadeus, another song, German title, like Quahirta Madel, and you would title it Wiener Schnitzel in the US. <laughs> <laughs> it's harmless, and I understand why they did it, but it's it's a bit weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> it gets a little bit worse. There exists a German version of the song. I mean, there exist many versions of the song, like Selena did a Spanish version, for example. But in the German version, the lyrics actually mention sukiyaki. So they sing about how while they were eating sukiyaki in Nagasaki, because no. it has to rhyme, <laughs> uh, they meet this lovely woman. <laughs> to be fair, the original title might be a bit difficult to say. And remember, for people who can't speak Japanese... You have to imagine, I've been reading about this song and this story now for, what, two weeks? Mm. I still have to always look up the name of the song to be sure that I have it correctly. Uh, I will try now my best not to completely butcher it. So the name of the song that you know as Sukiyaki is Ueo Muite Aruko. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know that. I just didn't know Sukiyaki. <laughs> no, I don't. This translates to I look up as I walk. As I said, I can't play the song, but I can read to you the English translation of the lyrics if you want to. So it goes like this. I look up when I walk so that the tears won't fall, remembering those spring days, but I'm all alone tonight. I look up when I walk, counting the stars with tearful eyes, remembering those summer days, but I'm all alone tonight. Happiness lies beyond the clouds, happiness lies above the sky. I look up when I walk so that the tears won't fall, Though the tears well up as I walk, for tonight I'm all alone, remembering those autumn days, but I'm all alone tonight. Sadness lies in the shadow of the stars, sadness lurks in the shadow of the moon. I look up as I walk so that the tears won't fall, though the tears well up as I walk, for tonight I'm all alone. That is... Okay, two things. One, that is beautiful and very sad. Two, I've done that and I don't recommend it because I tripped... And I fell because I was looking up and didn't see a tree root. So don't look up when you are walking. You can look up and cry. I think walking in the rain is better for hiding uncontrollable crying, um, just in general. Also, if you're doing something very sweaty, I prefer curled up in the shower in the fetal position, but like on the ground. I don't know. Listening to Britney's every time, like that meme, just, but don't look up while you walk or at your phone. Just. Just pay attention to where you're walking, please, and don't get hit by a car or trip over a tree root. Okay. So here comes the next shocker for you. I think what most of us, if you hear the lyrics, would associate with a very sad love song, even though the music is actually super upbeat and rather hopeful. It was not a love song at all, at least not for the author of the lyrics. 
Rokusuke Ei, he came up with the idea for the lyrics while he was walking home from a student protest. They were actually protesting the so-called Treaty of Mutual Cooperation and Security between the United States and Japan. That's a mouthful. That's a lot. So the song has nothing to do with a Japanese dish and it has nothing to do with love or a breakup, at least not originally. I read that the Japanese like that the song is so... The lyrics are so universal, you know what I mean? They do fit... They can fit a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody can relate to that song. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. You're welcome. I knew exactly the phrase you were looking for. That's for <laughs> like one person almost. Pretty soon I'll have stalked you to the fullest and then we'll meet in person. And then the podcast will be over because I'll achieve my goal. In the end, it didn't even matter what the song was about because most people didn't understand a single word of the lyrics. And still the song was and still is. Beloved around the world, 13 million copies were sold worldwide, making it one of the most sold singles worldwide. It's not quite up there with Bing Crosby's White Christmas, that one sold 50 million copies, but it's actually not too far off from You're the One That I Want, which sold 15 million copies. Oh. And as I said, there are so many cover versions of Sukiyaki. Selena made it popular in Spanish, there is the German version, which is actually sung by Dutch-Indonesian duo. That makes sense. <laughs> there's a Portuguese version, there's a Danish one, there's a Swedish one, a Czech version, a country version, a jazz rendition, a punk version, you name it, it's been done. Nice. How do I not know this song? I'm sure you know it. I'm sure I you bet know I know it. it. I'm going to listen after this and then yeah. we'll talk in the Facebook group and in Patreon. Okay. And there are still cover versions of this song made to this day. The whistling part that is in the song was used on Avicii's track Freak in 2019 that was published after his death. Mm. In total, there exist over 150 cover versions of Sukiyaki. The song is, of course, also used in movies, on TV, for ads. One of my all-time favorite TV shows, Mad Men, used Sukiyaki in one of the season 2 episodes. Why is a song that most people don't understand one word of so popular all around the world? Well, I think it's like we said, you know, really great music just transcends usual barriers like language, right? Yeah. Also, I think one of the biggest reasons next to the very catchy tune is is the voice, the singer, the sweet, silky voice of the singer of the original version, and his name is Kiyo Sakamoto. He was born on 10th of December 1941 as Hisashi Sakamoto in Kawasaki, as the youngest of nine children to Hiroshi and Iku Sakamoto. I think his father had nine children in total, uh, some of them from a previous marriage, and I think Iku was his second wife. And because Hisashi was the youngest of nine, he was also nicknamed Kiyo-chan. You know, Kiyo meaning nine, and Chan being the Japanese honorific title to address a young child. So it would translate to something like Little Mr. Nine, more or less. I see. So Chan is for kids, little ones, but San is for male adults. Yes, exactly. So, because yes. uh, all I can, this is pathetic, just Daniel San in. <laughs> yeah. 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 There you go. It would have actually been uh, Daniel Chan. Chan. Then, I was going to say, it should have yeah. been Daniel Chan. <laughs> That's literally why I brought it up. See? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we already know how he came up with his stage name. I find that very cute, actually. I do, too. I think it's really sweet. When he was born, World War II was in full swing and Japan had joined the war as German ally in September of 1940. And when the bigger air raids on Tokyo started in 1944, Iku and her children left Kawasaki because they were fearing that more cities would get bombed and they moved to the countryside with Kiyo's grandparents. Which was definitely smart because Kawasaki was bombed a total of three times between April and June of 1945. So when Iku and her children moved to the countryside to live with her parents, they were almost in a very deadly accident because the train they were riding collided with another train at a train station, but they had just left the train a couple of stations before. The train fell into a river. Oh, wow. Yeah, there were quite a number of fatalities. Kiyo was just 20 months old at the time when this happened, but mm. he was told about the incident and... When he grew up and as an adult, he believed that he and his family were protected by the gods. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I get you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like how many people were almost on the flights of 9-11 or they almost, yep. you know, that kind of yep. thing. Where you've almost been on. Yeah. And that's also the kind of thing you would grow up all the time hearing about that kind of story, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like everybody talks about that sort of thing. So I'm sure that even though he was a baby when it happened, it would have had a huge impact on him. Definitely. Yeah. 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 
So Iko and her children only returned to Kawasaki in 1949, where they were reunited with Hiroshi, and unfortunately the couple then divorced in the 1950s. When Kyu was a young teenage boy, he discovered his love for music, he learned how to play the guitar, and soon after he also started to sing. And I read that he was a fan of Elvis Presley, which probably most teenagers were back in the days, I guess. Yeah. Especially if you were into music. So at first he joined a band named Sons of Drifters, but after only six months, Kyu left again because of arguments about Kyu's position as a second vocalist of the group. There's a fun fact, the band later renamed to The Drifters and they became wildly successful in Japan. And they even opened for the Beatles in 1966 during their international tour when they played at the Nippon Budokan in Tokyo. Which is I know the cool. Drifters. The Drifters I know. Yeah. But aren't there, isn't there like a US version of the Drifters and the Japanese Drifters? Oh, I just assumed that there was one Drifters. No, I think there's another band, the Drifters. Yeah. Because I also know the US Drifters. In 1958, Q had joined a band with which he even landed a record deal with JVC Records. The band was called Paradise King. And it became very popular in Japan and landed several hits. And this success was what finally opened the possibility of a solo career for Kyo. And by the end of 1960, he left the Paradise King and signed a record deal with Toshiba Records. And the first song that Kyo released in 1961 after he had signed with Toshiba was the immediate smash hit Ueo Muite Aruko. And the international success came a little while later, in 1963, when a man working for a British record company traveled to Japan. And while he was in Japan, he heard the song several times and he was like, what's that song? It's kind of cool. And he wanted to bring it to the European market, to to the United Kingdom. And that's when they decided to change the name to Sukiyaki for the international market. Actually, what they did... At first, an instrumental version was released recorded by Kenny Ball and his jazzmen, and only after this version proved to be successful in the UK, they did release the original Japanese version by Kyo Sakamoto. Oh, okay. Testing the waters, I guess? Then Capitol Records released the song in the US, and again, it was an immediate hit, staying on number one for three weeks. Following his success in the US, Kyo went on an international tour that lasted until early 1964, and this tour took him not only to the US and the UK, but also to Sweden and Germany, for example. Outside of Japan, Kyo Sakamoto could not follow up the fame of Sukiyaki with any other of his songs. The only other single that can be found in the Billboard charts was the song China Nights. Uh, the original title is China no Yoru. This song peaked at number 58. But in Japan, he was a star. He not only had many other hit records, he also starred in several movies, he appeared on TV shows, he was even broadcasted live during the 1964 Summer Olympics in Tokyo. And Kyo... He was pretty much Japan's sweetheart. That's nice. So up until yeah, it's nice. Up until now, everything is actually really nice, except for you know World War Two and I mean yeah, that's bad. Kind of a dodgy renaming of a song, also but so problematic. I mean yeah, yeah, but yeah, but back for the days, I I see it's it's yeah, yeah. different yeah. I never read anything that he was upset about that. I think he was just. I haven't seen the way the other one was spelled, and so. If it were me personally, and it was my music, and they just wanted to change the name of the song to get it out to more people, I'd be fine with that. Like, if I wrote a book, yeah. but they wanted to change the name of the... Well, <laughs> I guess that's why we have two Harry Potters. But, you know, yeah. whatever. Just do what you have to do. Get it out there for people to exactly. enjoy. Exactly. I think yeah. that's how it felt, too. Yeah. I haven't seen the spelling, but it's prob- it was probably a smart idea. Now I will get into the sad part of it all. Oh, man. As I said, he was highly popular in his home country, Japan. He was kind of considered Japan's sweetheart. And judging from all I read about him, he seemed to have been a really lovely person. He used his fame and influence to advocate for many charitable causes. For example, he held a charity concert to raise money for the 1964 Summer Paralympics that took place in Tokyo. These were only the second Paralympic Games to take place, so funding was still very difficult and he supported that and tried to get money that's great uh he was also an advocate for sign language up until 1948 so when q was a little child deaf i know it's hearing impaired children in english Mm -hmm. now right yeah but back then people just thought there's deaf and there's of course people you know what i mean yes so uh they did not receive any form of formal education so they were simply not required to go to school (gasps) at all 
until wow. 1948. And until 1993, hearing-impaired children were prohibited from using sign language in Japanese schools. They were practically forced to speak. Oh. But make no mistake, it's not just Japan who banned the use of sign language in school. This actually all started in 1880 in Milan during the Second International Congress on Education of the Deaf. It was soon adapted by the United States and many European countries, and in 1920 sign language was banned from schools in Japan. Nowadays in Japan there are two different forms of sign language used. I can't get into the details here because I'm honestly, I'm no expert. I would just say something that's completely wrong, I guess. I would be completely out of my element talking about this subject, but I will add a link in the sources so you can read up on this topic a bit more if you're interested. But before sign language was unbanned, again, Kyo Sakamoto did use it occasionally during his performances of songs to raise awareness. Yeah, that's awful, obviously, the way that hearing impaired people were treated and amazing for him. I know there are some sign language teachers and interpreters in our Facebook group. I went to Flagler College in St. Augustine, and it's in the same town as the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind, which is also known as FSDB, and was established in 1885. And so it's this very old, well-respected, it's like one of the top schools. And I think the might be one of, I don't think it's the only one, but it could be like the only one in the country. It's, it's a really good school. And so... I took two semesters of American Sign Language when I was in undergraduate because deaf education, it was called deaf ed, was deaf education, was the, I'm sure it's changed now. Maybe it hasn't. I actually have no idea and need to look into exactly what the right wordage is now. But the thing that surprised me was how many forms of sign language that there are. Mm. Like you just said that he knew two different kinds, right, of sign language in Japan. They they have two different kinds of yeah. sign languages nowadays. Yeah, because one doesn't translate all in you know, every language is so special sometimes. Yes. Especially Japanese, I think. Yes, I'm sure. Well there's But people say I read that people uh, who use the sign language say it's also very confusing though. Mm -hmm. to have several Yeah. More. Yeah, and I know like there's American Sign Language, which is English, but it's different than English Sign Language, which is also English. And I know this is a really gross oversimplification, oversimplification on a topic that I'm really pretty ignorant about, but I do often wish there was just one form of global sign language, even if it was just the alphabet taught to everybody from birth so that people from all over the world could communicate regardless. Do you know what I mean? I don't mean like abolish yeah, but if it's current... just the alphabet, then you still have to learn the different languages. No, I, no, it would just be a, it would just be a, pick one of the sign languages, any one of them. I don't know. What, would it not? And then you have all the different, like I told you before, in German we have the Eselsbrücke and you don't know that, that picture even right. in English. So it's, I think that's the problem. Yeah, that's true. I just wish there were one, f there was one super simple form, like, super simple form yeah. of over really oversimplified version of sign language that could just the very most basic like you would have to learn the language to actually like like people who speak actually learn the language but you, do you know what i mean i don't know mm. i just wish there was something from birth that we could all and something will happen eventually where we'll all be able to speak and understand each other without we're almost there right we have google translate and all these other things yeah. but i guess this is something i wished for before I had a computer, so I'm old. I'm going to stop talking, but <laughs> yeah. My sign language professor was amazing. He was born deaf and could read and write fluently in five languages. He was from Portugal. He was brilliant. But yeah, please continue. So in 1971, Kyo married the Japanese actress Yukiko Kashiwagi, and together the couple held charity events at schools, nursing homes, children's hospitals. Uh, the couple also had two daughters, Hanako and Yukiko. Those two daughters later went on to become uh, musicians and artists themselves. It sounds like he was a really great guy and very talented and a lovely family. I'm afraid this is about to get dark. I'm, mm. yeah, I feel like we're cresting to the top of the roller coaster now. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Now it's going to get dark. Okay. 
In the late afternoon of 12th of August 1985, Kyo boarded the Japanese Airlines Flight 123 from Haneda Airport, Tokyo to Osaka International Airport for a business trip. And usually the entertainer preferred to fly with ANA, so that's all Nippon Airways, but that day there were no seats available on the ANA flight due to the upcoming Obon Festival that lasts from 13th of August until 16th of August. Roughly, I have to add, because the dates can vary from region to region. An article on japanguide.com tells us, quote, Obon is an annual Buddhist event for commemorating one's ancestors. It's believed that each year during Obon, the ancestor spirits return to this world in order to visit their relatives. So kind of like Dia de Muertos. Mm. Traditionally, lanterns are hung in front of the houses to guide the ancestor spirits. Obon dances are performed, graves are visited and food offerings are made at house altars and temples. At the end of Obon, floating lanterns are put into the rivers, lakes and seas in order to guide the spirits back into their world. The the customs followed very strongly from region to region. Obon is observed around the 15th day of the 7th month of the year, which is July according to the solar calendar, however, it roughly corresponds to August according to the formerly used lunar calendar. As a result, Obon is mainly observed from August 13th to 16th, although in some areas it's also observed in mid-July. The Obon Week in mid-August is one of Japan's three major holiday seasons alongside New Year and Golden Week. Accompanied by intensive domestic and international travel activities and increased accommodation rates. In recent years, travel activities in mid-August has become somewhat more spread out and less concentrated, but is still considerable on certain days, end quote. Okay. That's a beautiful holiday. I'd never heard of that before. That's really lovely. Mm. But I could see where that would be busy. It was busy and it was busy in 1985 as well. So yeah, it's like our American Thanksgiving. It's like a time when your family would exactly. all get together. Mm-hmm. Especially as I guess, because you're visiting your ancestors' graves and things like yes, this. Yes, absolutely. Travel. Yeah. So and that's why you couldn't get a seat on the ANA flight. So he was like, okay, he goes on JAL. So Kiyo and 508 more passengers sat down on the Boeing 747SR, which stands for short range. On board were also 15 crew members, 12 flight attendants, and a cockpit crew consisting of Captain Masami Takahama, First Officer Yukata Sasaki, and Flight Engineer Hiroshi Fukuda. It was one of the First Officer's last training flights before he would be promoted to captain, so he was the acting captain on board of the flight. The cockpit crew was very experienced on flying the 747. They had accumulated several thousand of flight hours on flights with this type of airplane. So they really were extremely experienced. Yes. The flight was supposed to take off at 6 p.m. but ran 12 minutes late. So takeoff was at 6.12 p.m. Mm. 12 minutes after takeoff, so at 6.24 p.m., the plane had almost reached their cruising altitude when a loud sound, like an explosion, could be heard all of a sudden, and the airplane underwent a rapid decompression. So rapid decompression is when the pressure in the airplane sudden in the cabin of the airplane suddenly drops, and that's also the moment, you know, when the oxygen masks usually drop down mm-hmm. and you have to put them on. This decompression caused the back of the cabin around the area of the back lavatory severe damage, the ceiling in that area dropped down, and the vertical stabilizer, so that's the back fin of the airplane, that also holds the rudder, the vertical stabilizer was gone, and this also severed all four of the aircraft's hydraulic lines. Oh my god. The cockpit crew immediately set the plane's transponder to the distress signal and contacted the air traffic control center. To request a return to the Tokyo airport, which obviously was approved, the pilots tried to maneuver the airplane back, but the plane proved to be not controllable anymore. The hydraulic pressure dropped, and so the captain ordered the first officer to initiate the descent immediately. When the traffic control realized that JL-123 was still moving away from Haneda airport, they contacted the flight crew again, trying to figure out what's going on. The voice recordings can be found on YouTube. It's mostly in Japanese with subtitles. So I will only play a very short excerpt of it now, the part that's in English. To hear all of it, please follow the link to the video. Uh, I will also put it in the show notes this time. Radio, 
So at that point, air traffic control tells them that they can stick to Japanese now, of course, because you don't need the extra stress of using a second language in this kind of emergency situation. Oh, yeah. It's really sad because apparently hypoxia had started to set in and the flight crew gave answers now way more delayed and they seem to not fully comprehend the questions. In between you can hear the purser of the flight make announcements, you know, telling the passengers fasten their seatbelts and to put their masks on. By now the passengers realized that this might not end well and some of them started to write farewell notes to their loved ones. Mm, that's a really... I don't know if you've ever done that, like been in a situation where you had to do that. No. It's Have you? Twice. Really? Yeah, not fun. Not fun. Once on an airplane, I was flying by myself uh, over to see Adam's family, and we had really bad turbulence, like really bad turbulence. And once once I was on a ferry, and the the waves, it wasn't a long ferry ride, but the it was really rough seas. Like, so many people were sick, and the windows were breaking from the water and so there was water inside like on the inside of the ferry just so sloshing so you'd like tip up and all the water would rush to the back of the ferry you know what I mean on this boat mm. and I thought I started to get out a piece of paper from my bag to write a note to my family and then I realized I didn't have a Ziploc bag so there was no point it's not a good feeling so while the passengers start to write notes and the purser and the flight attendants try to calm them down the flight crew is fighting so hard to control the plane and to initiate the descent. In the recording, you can hear the captain shouting instructions to his first officers, you know, like nose down. Uh, later, he yells, pull up, and they can gain a bit of control over the aircraft. They manage to lower the landing gear, you know, that's trying to slow the plane down. Mm -hmm. They even manage to lower the altitude. But all their efforts were not enough to control the plane. At 6 56 p.m., so 32 minutes after the rapid decompression. That's such a long time. Can you imagine? 32 minutes they are fighting. The plane crashes into Mount Takamakahara. And the last thing you can hear on the voice recording is the plane's control system. You know, the alarm going off and it's repeating, pull up, pull up, pull up. And the captain saying in Japanese, this is the end. Well, I get goosebumps. It's so sad. It's so sad. All 15 crew members die, as do 505 of the 509 passengers. Four women could be found alive. Uh, one of them was a flight attendant for uh, JL uh, that was off duty. Mm. And I'm saying it like they were found alive because it looks as if more people could have survived if only they were found sooner. Oh no. This is an article from The Guardian from Tuesday, 13th of August, 1985, so the day after the crash. Okay. Titled, 524 killed in worst single air disaster, US to investigate crash of American-made Japanese Boeing 747. The author of the article is Harold Jackson. Quote, Two United States government investigators were last night traveling to Japan in an effort to find the cause of the worst air crash involving a single aircraft. Japan Airlines said that 524 passengers and crew, including 21 non-Japanese, were feared killed when one of its Boeing 747 jets crashed into mountainous terrain northwest of Tokyo. Flight 123, flying a domestic route from Tokyo to Osaka, apparently weird of course shortly after taking off for its 60-minute journey. It was hundreds of miles away from its planned route when it came down. Early today, seven paratroopers descended on ropes from helicopters to start hunting through the wreckage, but defense ministry officials said there was no sign of survivors. About another 1,000 emergency workers were trying to reach the scene on foot. 
Rescuers had great difficulty reaching the remote Japan Alps 70 miles northwest of the capital and heavy rain added to their problems. The region is difficult to reach even on foot, intersected with gorges and densely packed fir and spruce trees. Quote, one helicopter found what looks like the tail of the aircraft, end quote, a defense ministry spokesman said. Debris was scattered over an area of at least three miles, end quote. And yeah, medical experts later stated that probably more lives could have been saved if only the crash site could have been reached sooner. And I also read, and that's very sad, that the four survivors talked about how they could hear the cries and moans of the other passengers all through the night, but that mm. the site crew quiet as the morning approached. It's very Titanic in a way. Yes. Kiyo Sakamoto was one of the victims of flight JL-123. His widow, Yukiko Kashiwagi, wrote a book about her husband and I kept looking for it until I realized it has only been published in Japanese. Please message me if I'm wrong. If this book has been published in English, let me know because I really want to read it. But so far, I only know about the Japanese version, so I couldn't read it. I had to rely on what other people said was in the book, if that makes sense. So... Take yeah. this with a grain of salt. According to what I read, Yukiko didn't realize that Kyo was on flight JL-123 because, as usually, he would always fly ANA and she only learned about him being on that plane when she saw his name on a passenger list that had been published. Oh, man. Yeah. So, a friend of mine from early childhood, her name was... Well, I used to call her Jeannie, but her name is Jean Roger. And we were very very close from kindergarten to like third grade-ish and then we sort of went to different schools or whatever it'd been a long time since I'd seen her you know how you have those friends from like early childhood that you were yeah. super tight with and you lose touch there's no animosity it's just you know she was 24 and working as a flight attendant and she worked standby a lot because she was she had gone to school but when she finished college she wanted to be a flight attendant and see the world so she did that and because she was relatively new, she was on standby, and I guess she'd have to just show up at Logan Airport super early in the morning, like when she was on call. I don't know if you had to do this. Like, you just had to be mm -hmm. available, and that day someone called in. Yeah, you had to be at the airport in less than one hour, or we had airport standby. Both yeah, existed. it was airports, yeah. So she just had to be at the airport, but she always wanted to go. She always wanted to be called on a flight, like she loved it. Anyway, the problem was that she was working as a flight attendant on September 11th. And so it took a long time for us to realize that the person on the flight manifest who was released, like the original flight manifests were released to the news. And so they were listing after 9-11, they were listing everything. The girl who had or the person, I don't know if it was a man or the person who had called in sick last minute um, was on the victim list. But Jeannie was actually on flight 11 out of Boston, which was the first plane to go into the World Trade Center. And I know it was several hours afterward that her family found out because she didn't usually call, I guess. She wouldn't call them till she got to where she was going to say like, hey, I'm here. I did get picked up or I didn't because they'd leave so early. And you didn't use your phone on Nobody called anybody from the air or texted them or did anything in 2001, right? We didn't find out until about a week later that Jeannie had been on that flight. I always just thought about how the family of the attendant who called in sick must have felt when they saw their mm. name on the list of flight attendants on that flight. And I just remember how shocked, like, just how shocked I was that I hadn't seen this person in such a long time. I mean, I was yeah. also 24, so it had, it had probably, well, when you're 24, <laughs> 15 years feels like is a long time, but you know what I mean. And yeah, it's so sad. And I guess the thing that makes me feel better in this case is it really seems like it's not like, it's not like people didn't find them because they didn't care. It was just, it seems like it was a really, really hard time to get to where the crash had been. Is that right? I mean, there has been, I found one article in, on Newsweek. They talked about how the Japanese government or uh, whoever was coordinating the the rescue mission they kind of delayed things because it was a little bit chaotic i don't know how true that is mm. i read it i i don't i think it was just really hard to get there yeah i'm sure things could have run more smoothly they always can yeah, always because nobody's ever really completely prepared for such a thing right no so, and unfortunately we learn how to do things better after something horrible happens yeah. right yeah 
This is, it's, yeah, this is very sad. So Q did not survive, but they were able to recover his body for the family. Yeah, so his body was found the day after the crash, and they only could identify him because of a pendant he always wore around his neck. Ah, okay. Another thing I read about the book is that Yukiko talks about Q writing a farewell note as well, and that it was found on him. But I cannot confirm if this is true. Maybe it's not even in the book, and the people confuse it with other farewell notes, you know, like, they know this famous singer was on board of the airplane. They know that people wrote farewell messages and so they just mix up these two things. Mm, it could be, You know what sure. I mean? Yep. Or it is true and Yukiko has a last note but doesn't want it out in the public. Sure. I don't know because I could not find anything about this note and I think if she would have put what it said in the book, I would have found it somewhere, I guess. Right. Yeah, probably. Somebody would have talked about it. Like, yeah. this is what it said. I think so. If any of our Hellions read the book by Yukiko Kashiwagi, please write to us, clear these two things up for me. I really want to know. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Kiyo Sakamoto might not have left a last message for his family, but other passengers did. And they are heartbreaking, because we should not forget that while Kiyo was the most prominent name on the passenger list, he was just one of 520 people who lost their life that day. So 520 families mm. grieving. Yeah. One note reads, quote, Mariko, Tsuyoshi, Chiyoko. Be good to each other and work hard. Help your mother. It's sad, but I'm sure I won't make it. Uh. Then he continues, To think that our dinner last night was the last time. There was some sort of explosion in the cabin. There was smoke and we started to descend. Tsuyoshi, I'm counting on you. Darling, it's too bad that this has happened. Goodbye. Please take good care of the children. It's 6.30 now. The plane is turning around and descending rapidly. I'm grateful for the truly happy life I have enjoyed until now. End quote. Oof. There's another note. He says, PM 6.30, Tomoko, look after Tetsuya. Be brave and live. Tetsuya, be good. End quote. It's like these kind of things they tell. They're take like care telling of children. their children to take yeah. care of their parents. Mm. Oh, yeah. This is killing me. Yeah. Do they know what caused the crash? So I read a lot of articles about it. And uh, it's a little bit difficult for me to put together the, the technical aspects of the crash. You know, translating it from German to English in a way that didn't just make things super confusing yeah so i'm going to read to you from our friend wikipedia because while you do have to be careful using it as a source this does appear to be a correct and um understandable explanation about the cause okay yeah wikipedia is great for that i think when when i did the hijacking one and there have yeah. been a few where you're like how am i gonna explain this and then you look at wikipedia and you're like oh they've done it perfectly yeah it's, yeah i'm not gonna reinvent the wheel here this it's fine <laughs> Okay, so, quote, The official cause of the crash according to the report published by Japan's Aircraft Accident Investigation Commission is as follows. The aircraft was involved in a tail strike incident at Osaka International Airport seven years earlier as JAL-115, which damaged the aircraft's aft pressure bulkhead. So, that means the tail end touched the runway, which is not good. Right. And so there was already, like damage and weakness in the back the yes. back end of the plane yeah so it goes on the subsequent repair of the bulkhead did not conform to boeing's approved repair methods this manner negated the effectiveness of one of the rows of rivets reducing the parts resistance to fatigue cracking to about 70 percent of that for a correct repair during the investigation the accident investigation commission calculated that this incorrect installation would fail after approximately 10,000 pressurization cycles the aircraft accomplished 12,318 <sighs> successful flights from the time that the faulty repair was made to when the crash happened. Consequently, after repeated pressurization cycles during normal flight, the bulkhead gradually started to crack near one of the two rows of rivets holding it together. When it finally failed, the resulting rapid decompression ruptured the lines of all four hydraulic systems and ejected the vertical stabilizer. With many of the aircraft's flight controls disabled, the aircraft became uncontrollable." End quote. Oh, wow. I mean, there's nothing the pilots really could have done. That's Nothing, nothing. They tried yeah. really their best. They were really Talented. great pilots. Yeah. Yes, and there was just nothing. I read somewhere that they could have tried to do a water crash landing mm. in the bay, but I think 
they couldn't they couldn't turn around they it was so difficult for them to descend yeah i think they really did everything that could have been done yeah the crash of flight JL-123 is the deadliest aircraft accident involving only one airplane in the history of aviation to this day. The Japanese people lost confidence in Japan Airlines. Many switched to only fly with the competitors ANA, who were considered the safer alternative. Interestingly enough, Boeing admitted sole responsibility for the accident, which I find a little bit weird because it was clearly due to improper repairs that didn't follow Boeing instructions. Yeah, that's really shocking to me, actually. Especially these days. That that seems unheard of. You wonder if something else was going on there that you didn't yeah. know about. You uh, know? There are a couple of conspiracy theories mm-hmm. why they are. did that. This is fascinating to me. It's so sad. So JAL did pay 7.6 million US dollars as condolence money to the victims' families. And the flight JL123 was, the flight number was changed to JL127. <laughs> That's fine then. I think it was last year or two years ago that all of a sudden the flight number JL123 popped up on the flight radar. You know, there are people who constantly watch flight radars all over the world because they are super interested in that. My husband is one of them. Oh, okay. And all of a sudden JL123 popped up and everybody freaked out a little bit. He's not that into it, but like anytime he can hear something that sounds slightly different than a 747, he's like, ooh, what's that? And he wants to, (laughs) he's into planes. It's fine. It's good. In 2009, stairs were built so that people could access the crash site. I know now you're going to think, oh, it's for the looky-loos who want to go there and look at it. No, it's not. It was done for the loved ones of the victims who still hold an annual gathering there to remember the lives lost. It kind of became a part of the Obon celebrations for them. Oh, which God, makes sense. of course. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I want to end this super sad episode on a slightly more uplifting note with a couple more facts about the song that you might have known under the name Sukiyaki. Because while Kiyosakamoto so tragically lost his life at age 43, his voice continues to enchant people all over the world. The song even reached outer space because in 1965 an instrumental version of the song was played by NASA over the radio for the Gemini 7 astronauts as mute music, and Mm -hmm. it so became one of the first pieces of music sent to humans in space. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. In 1993, an asteroid was named in honor of Kiyosakamoto. It's the asteroid 6980 Kiyosakamoto. One last fun fact. In Japan, the song Ue Omuite Aruko is called the Song of 689, because in Japanese, 6 is Roku, Eight is Hachi and nine is Kyo. Oh. And the lyricist of the song is Rokusuke Ei. The composer of the song is Hachidai Nakamura. And the singer is Kyo Sakamoto. I think that's very cute. I love I that. I like it. Yeah. Thank you so much for telling. I can't believe I've never heard of this. But of course, 1985. So I would have just turned eight and you would have just turned six. It's not really the kind of stuff our parents would have been talking to us about. Like, hey, kids, you got everything you need for school this morning? Let's talk about this horrific crash. I heard about this crash the first time when I was becoming a flight attendant because we learned about all the the most horrible (laughs) crash landings (laughs) and and accidents. Um, We had to learn about them in our training. Yeah. I'm fascinated. But I didn't know that Kyo Sakamoto was on board of that plane until way later. That's amazing. Thank you so much for telling. I would never... I'm going to look it up now. I'm really glad I know about him. What a great story. Thank you. Do you have something good? Because I'm going to rest my voice now for a moment. (laughs) Yeah, it's my sister's birthday today. So it's the Moose's birthday. Happy birthday, Moose. It's also your birthday today while we're recording. It Just is also say. my Yeah, it's also my birthday today. <laughs> but my sister and I share a birthday. And it's not an over exaggeration to say that I probably wouldn't be here without my little sister. She is as beautiful inside as she is on the outside. And I just wish all the good things for her. She made me a cake, which I will post on my Instagram and Facebook group. And I'll post it in Patreon if you guys want to see it. Our Shits Creek fans will enjoy it very much. It's hard because... Our birthday has always been right around Mother's Day, and so our entire lives, we've always celebrated our birthdays and Mother's Day as adults. I just had, like, one fancy dinner out to celebrate the three things, you know, someone with, like, 
cloth napkins and like a pastry chef, like really fancy. You know, that one meal a year that you have. Yeah. Usually we'd go for sushi. That was mom's favorite. So we're now trying to sort of reinvent what we do for our birthday. Also, I just really want to thank my friends. I have just the most amazing and supportive friends and family. Um, Sorry. (laughs) It's just been a really... It's just been a really tough year, um, physically and emotionally. And... My friends are just amazing. And so, you know who I'm talking to. They listen to this show. I just love you so much, and I'm so lucky. Yeah. So, that's it. How about you? <laughs> what's what's new and happy in your world? My something good today is... I want to ask people out there to be kind to one another. It's like, I think it's the true crime garage who always ends their show with, uh, be kind. Yeah. Is Something it? like this. Yeah. And I mean it. I really, I always tell you in the end, be kind to your pets, but also please, guys out there, be kind to one another. Don't, you know, don't, you don't know what people are going through and people, I don't know, give them the benefit of the doubt. That's all I want to say. Yeah. Always give people the benefit of the doubt. Always. I think. If they're assholes afterwards, sure, go for yeah, it. But absolutely. Don't just lash out on everybody out there. No. I, I, I don't know. Do you have the same feeling like if you're on, online a lot and you see a lot of online discussions, it got worse over the last year? Like people are really stressed. People are stressed. Tense. People are angry. Yeah. People are, yeah. There's a lot of vitriol out there. Be nice to one another. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, no one's going to want to be your friend. So. (laughs) So, again, my voice is like, if you can hear it, so I'm going to let Annie do the rest of the talking. (laughs) Um, If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a kind review. We would love that very much. Tell your friends about us or share us on your socials. If you're interested in our Patreon group, we, uh, it's a great group of people. We currently play, once a month we play a game online with our murder tier. We have some recordings and some, <laughs> our first, we're going to try a split screen video soon. Pray for us. If that's your jam, we'll see how that goes. I'm not going to say anything except I think I'm going to get pink guy. What else? You can join our Facebook group, which is full of the most lovely people. Search for Fresh Hell Murder and you'll find them. Also there you'll find albums that have photographs from all the cases we discuss, as well as our sources. You can also visit our webpage, which is freshhellpodcast.com, which will have links to everything. Is that everything? Am I forgetting anything? Tell your pets. We said hi. Tell them we love them. Hug them, hold them. Yep. Be always kind to them. Yep. Be kind to everyone. Yeah. Just try. We love them. We miss them. Yeah, we miss you. We hope to see you soon. And until next week, if you're going through hell, keep going. Choose. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye bye. <laughs>